Hello and welcome to the MCC from the Capitol, the official podcast of the Missouri Catholic Conference, where we discuss topics ranging from the Missouri legislation to specific matters of Catholic morality. I'm Curtis Wickmer, legislative analyst and lobbyist with the conference, and today we are joined by Bishop James Johnston of the Kansas City St. Joseph Diocese to discuss Catholic teaching on the real presence of the Eucharist. Bishop, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much, Kurt. Good to be with you. Uh, Good to see you too. And so through its belief in the real presence of the Eucharist, the Catholic Church places a higher value on the sacrament of communion than every other Protestant denomination. So I guess I'd like to start things off by just asking you to briefly summarize the church's teaching on the Eucharist uh, and what makes it distinct from uh, Lord's Supper ceremonies that many evangelical denominations have. Yeah, sure. Um, Well, the Catholic Church from the very beginning and in an unbroken uh, line of tradition has always believed that the, the, the sacrifice of the Mass is the perpetuation of our Lord's um, sacrifice of his body and blood on Calvary. Uh, it was the way that Jesus arranged to make present that saving, redemptive sacrifice of Calvary down through the centuries to make that present. And so the the Mass is the center of everything. And uh, so we get to participate in the Lord's saving sacrifice by giving ourselves and offering ourselves with Him at every Mass. And that's why right before the Eucharistic prayer, the priest always prays, pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours will be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. And so it's a reminder at every Mass that it's the sacrifice of Christ, the same sacrifice made present, we enter into that. And of course, we do that in, in an act of thanksgiving, and we also at every Mass then receive Christ himself really present. And I should add, we Catholics believe, and I think this is important, he's also substantially present. Because many many Protestants would believe that in some way, uh, a vaguer, maybe just a spiritual way, Christ is present. But we believe that he's present also substantially, that the the elements that we bring, the bread and the wine, after the consecration are no longer bread and wine. They have the appearances of bread and wine, but they are now no longer bread and wine, but they are the body and blood of Christ. And so it's the it's the whole Christ that we receive in Holy Communion, his body and in blood, his soul and divinity. That if you think about that and realize that, there's nothing more amazing than that, than for Christ himself to give himself to each of us so that we receive him into our body. And so that's why we, we truly call it a Holy Communion. It's a it's a communion with God, not just spiritually. He does enter into our souls and dwells there, but our body and blood meets his body and blood. And he, through the Eucharist, transforms us into his, his body as his members and nourishes us as his members. And so this is something that the first Christians we see even in the writings of the church fathers consistently from the first centuries, right after the apostolic age, this, would, this has been the church's belief. It really is the source and the summit of the Christian life. It's, it's what makes the church. 
and it's what makes the church grow. It's what feeds the church and fills the church with grace. So I could I could keep talking about that, but that is what you know. That is that's what this uh, this time is for is for for all of the faithful to once again just wake up and, and realize again and and appreciate again with great amazement, you know, just what God has given us in the Eucharist to um, to to really reinvigorate and, and rekindle the fire of love that we should have as such a, a precious gift to give thanksgiving to God, but also to receive those blessings that God bestows upon us through his Son in the Holy Eucharist. And I could listen to these conversations all day, you know, both both to um, appreciate really what an exceptional gift that Christ's true substantial presence in the Eucharist is, but also to deepen my understanding of our, our Catholic faith. I talk with a lot of, uh, I have a lot of Protestant friends and we discuss theology uh, and religion pretty frequently. And uh, what you were saying about the substantial presence of Christ in the Eucharist, that ties into our concept of transubstantiation, why Christ is actually present in the Eucharist rather than it just being some uh, ethereal concept of God's omnipresence. Now, oftentimes when I'm talking to my Protestant friends, they're, they're true Missourians, you know, they, they always want me to show them, show them what's in uh, the Bible regarding the real presence of the Eucharist. Could you state for me any mention in the Bible where Christ talks about the real presence in the Eucharist? Sure. There are a number of places in, in the Gospels, and I would I always begin with uh, the chapter 6 of John's Gospel, where Jesus is in a discussion, and it really takes up that whole chapter about the true bread come down from heaven. So he's at the synagogue in Capernaum, and uh, he's discussing with those present, many of whom are his own followers, his own disciples. So he's teaching his own disciples, and the apostles are present there. He says to them, you know, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. It really is a, a great chapter for meditation on, on the Eucharist, and it's often referred to as the bread of life discourse of Jesus. What's interesting about that chapter, though, is at the end of, the, of that chapter, when after Jesus has given this teaching, it says that many of his disciples left him because they found his teaching too hard. And so that's when Jesus Jesus turns to his own apostles and asks if they want to leave too. And they they respond, no, you, you have the words of eternal life, you know. So it really is, um, I think, a confirmation that Jesus, during that teaching, was not speaking figuratively. He's speaking literally about the, the true bread come down from heaven is his own body and blood. And of course, that's one of the reasons that many theologians note that St. John is the one evangelist that does not have an account of the events of the Last Supper. The other, the other Gospels do, in which Jesus uh, gathers his apostles around the table at, on the night he was betrayed and celebrates the first Mass and says, literally, this, take this, this is my body given up for you. This is the chalice of my blood. Well, St. John didn't have to do that because he had already, in a sense, given the teaching on the bread of life earlier in his gospel 
in chapter 6. So I would refer people to chapter 6 of St. John's Gospel and then the, the Last Supper accounts and, and listen and to, to Jesus' own words at the Last Supper. And of course, then later on, St. Paul talks about receiving the Eucharist unworthily and refers to the Eucharist in, in his epistles. So there's, there's a lot of scriptural, very clear scriptural basis for Catholic understanding. And of course, as I said, it's, it's also key if we want to, to, to sort of see, well, if the apostles believe that, you would, you would assume that the generation right after them would also believe that. And that's why I think it's also good to, to look at the successive generations of, of the church fathers and what they have to say about the Eucharist, because I think there's a, a trajectory that's consistent and unbreak, unbroken. There's, in the early centuries of the church, there is no indication at all from anyone that, that there was anything other than the Catholic understanding of, of the Eucharist. And so we begin with the scriptures and Jesus, but then we continue with the apostles and then the early church fathers. And I think we have a very beautiful and clear and consistent presentation on, on our belief in the Eucharist. And when you say getting more involved in uh, Eucharist within or at the parish level, would that be beyond just attending Mass, such as maybe attending adoration? Certainly. Our devotion is kindled, I think, through prayer and through time. It's just like any other friends. Uh, if I have uh, friends and friendships, I have to give them time and I have to give them my presence. Otherwise, our friendships become weaker and could even evaporate entirely. Uh, and I think we all experience that uh, as you get older in life. There are some friends that that stick with you and you stick with them. Other friendships, uh, because you, you maybe don't have a have the opportunity, the time, or the, even the availability to be present, those things can fade away. And it's the same thing, I think, with our relationship with our Lord. Every time we make time for for God and to be present to God in something like Eucharistic adoration, making a holy hour, or simply during the course of our day, just turning to God in thanksgiving and praise, even in supplication, asking for help, those things reinforce uh, our devotion and our love for God. And uh, that helps, that in a sense is the remote preparation that we need for Sunday worship at, 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 at Sunday Mass. So all of those things are interconnected and recommended by the church uh, to deepen our love for God and to prepare us for the act of worship when we come together as the body of Christ. The head, Jesus himself, but all of his members. Uh, when we come together for Mass, it's, it's a special act that Jesus makes to the Father because he includes all of us in this liturgical way. But those things that we do during the week, that we do in the evenings, including adoration, holy hour, and other things, all of those things prepare us and deepen what we do. Yeah, and as I've visited new churches, um, I've I've distinctly found 
adoration to be much more widely available than when it was when I was growing up. Uh, when I grew up, I would go to weekly mass, but I did not go to adoration as a kid. And now I see, uh, I'm fortunate that at the church I go to here in Jefferson City, uh, they have almost daily adoration. And so I, I try to make a trip when I can. Speaking of making a trip, uh, I, I know Europe has a very long history of pilgrimages across different points of their continent. I heard there was some element of a pilgrimage regarding the upcoming Eucharistic uh, Revival Congress. Yes, and it's 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 pretty interesting the plan that's uh, that we're going to follow in the United States because our our country is so vast and. We, we have sort of a central location in Indianapolis. There, there are going to be four different Eucharistic pilgrimages, processions, really, in which the, the, the Blessed Sacrament will be processed from all four directions, from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Those routes will pass through many of the states of the nation. We're fortunate here in Missouri that the, the western route which will be, it's the longest one, of course, because it begins in California. But the Western route is going to uh, uh, come through Kansas City sometime next June and will proceed eastward uh, and pass through the Diocese of Jefferson City and eventually the Archdiocese of St. Louis on the way to Indianapolis. And there are going to be teams on each of these routes of people that will, will go the whole route but while they're passing through different communities, different dioceses and cities, they're inviting the faithful in those localities to join in the procession with them. And so I'd encourage everyone to kind of keep your eyes and ears open uh, as to the exact schedule when, when we get closer. And if you're able, uh, when and if the, the procession uh, of the Eucharist towards Indianapolis comes through our state, go and be a part of a, a part of it. We're going to be hosting uh, the teams that are going to be part of the permanent team to accompany the Blessed Sacrament uh, in the homes of people in our churches. But I would just encourage people to do that uh, if you're able. In it's in your when the when the Eucharist, the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, processes through our our diocese. There's another one that begins up in northern Minnesota at the headwaters of the Mississippi and comes southward uh, to Indianapolis. The one from the east, I believe, begins at uh, in Connecticut at uh, at the head where where the the Knights of Columbus founded were, were founded, and it will proceed from the east, heading towards Indianapolis, and then I believe the the southern route begins in Texas, uh, maybe down near the near the border uh, with Mexico, and then comes northward. So that's a longer route too. But our route will be the western one, and it's kind of appropriate because I think, as many Missourians know, and I'm I'm certainly familiar with this here in Kansas City. In the mid 19th century, the the great trails that went westward the Santa Fe Trail, the Oregon Trail, the California Trail, all of those originated here in Kansas City and, and went westward. And so, in a sense, we got the reverse uh, coming back here. We got uh, the Blessed Sacrament pr processing backwards and it's going to pass through Kansas City on its way to Indianapolis. 
Well, it sounds like quite an incredible experience. Uh, and this information can be further looked into on the National Eucharistic Congress website. That's right. That's right. All of these details um, and schedules could be uh, can be found there, I believe. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to mention about the upcoming Congress or about the uh, the topic, Bishop? Well, yeah, one other thing, now that you asked, Kurt, um, we're going to be doing something here locally in Kansas City that I think might be of interest to, to others who are not too far away. And, uh, and that is that we're going to be having on May 4th, the evening of May 4th, which is a Saturday, May 4th, 2024, an event to celebrate the Eucharist uh, through with a mass and through adoration and praise at the World War I Memorial in Kansas City. And for those of you who have not maybe not been to Kansas City, the World War I Memorial is right up the hill from Union Station. And it's a big open area where lots of celebrations have been held. And most recently, the, the Chiefs, Kansas City Chiefs' most recent Super Bowl uh, ended there. And so there's, it's a big open area where a lot of public events and celebrations are held. And so this was inspired by my becoming aware of a similar event that occurred on May 4th, 1941. It was the first Eucharistic Congress in Kansas City. This was just months before the outbreak of World War II. I saw a picture of this in our archives, and there were tens of thousands of people present for this Eucharistic Congress here in Kansas City. And so it was the inspiration to do something similar during this time of Eucharistic revival. And so the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph, along with a partnership with the Archdiocese of Kansas City, are going to be sponsoring this event. All are invited. It's being, being called Behold. So it's the Behold event taken from the words from the Mass right before we receive Holy Communion. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. So all are welcome uh, to, to come to Kansas City for this beautiful event that we're going to be holding on May 4th. If you love the Eucharist and you want to make a trip to the to the to Kansas City, uh, we'd be happy to have you. And details of this event are on our website, the Diocese of Kansas City St. Joseph website. We're, we are already well into the planning of it, and um, everyone is welcome. And we're holding it part partly because we know not everyone can go to the event in Indianapolis, and so this is a more local event that. I think would be a, is going to be a very beautiful celebration. So that's May 4th, 2024 in the evening. Sounds fantastic, Bishop. I, I, I love the uh, giving the options for people who uh, may or may not be able to travel. All right. Well, uh, Bishop, thank you very much for uh, appearing on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time and, and your clarity. And thank you for listening to this episode of the MCC on the Capitol podcast. <laughs>